If you have your Bible, Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14 is where we want to be parked this morning. Let me give you a little reminder of what we've talked about the last three weeks about what would Jesus undo in our lives. First, we talked about he would undo the indifference that we have or the lukewarm spirituality that some people have. If you remember, he talked about the, in the book of Revelations how it was better to be hot or cold, but this lukewarm thing kind of made him sick to his stomach. In fact, the word was he would felt like vomiting, those kinds of things. So he says this would be a hotter cold because both have a purpose, but lukewarm water is just blah, it's just there, just kind of been sitting around and doing those kinds of things. But then we talked about hollow worship. We said it's not the songs that we sing. It's not whether you have drums or no drums or full band or just people leading worship. It's not about those things. It's about the life we have because God wants all of our life. He wants all of us. Then we, last week we talked about hypocrisy, about living that life of a hypocrite where we say one thing and we live another. And he said he would undo those things in our life. Today we're going to talk about spiritual pride and about what that means. Spiritual pride is simply misplaced uh, sense worth of value. A lot of times this pride is we think more of ourselves than what truly is there, than what it's really worth. And there's a lot of people in the world today that just have this idea that I'm so much better, I'm so much more important than anybody else in the church and in the world. So as we get going, I think one of the most loving things, and we said this last week, one of the most loving things somebody can do in people's lives is simply to tell them the truth when they ask a question. So many times we have somebody ask us a question and they'll say, what do you really think? And you're going, if I tell them the truth, they're going to get upset. If I tell them the truth, they're not going to like what I have to say because the truth is going to hurt. But sometimes truth is the best thing that we can do. And today, again, like hypocrisy, God is going to unleash some truth to us today that I can guarantee you some of us is not going to like. But it's truth. It's God's truth, and it comes from love. So in our story in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, there's two guys, and they're going to the temple to worship. They're going to the same place. They're going for the same purpose. One of them is a Pharisee. And in that day, he should have been the good guy. He was the guy that um, did all the good things, or supposedly, and we'll talk about those here in a minute. The second one was the tax collector. He's that guy we kind of boo when you say his name because he's the bad guy in the story. But they're both going to the temple. They're both headed to the visible presence of God. And they're going to do the same thing. They're both going to the temple to pray. Okay? So the same purpose, same place, they're going to pray. And both prays. But only one leaves the temple correct or just before God. And one does not. But I'm going to tell you something. If you know the story, you know the answer. It's not the one you would think. Okay? Listen to what it says. Start with verse 9. It says, And he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Okay? 
So what Jesus is doing, he's addressing the crowd with those who would have a problem. The problem is this. It's when we have confidence in ourselves. Okay, we're going to talk about this after a while. But we have confidence in ourselves. We have faith in ourselves. And we say, I don't need other people. I don't need church. I don't need God. I don't need these things in my life. Because pride causes us to look down upon others. When we have this spiritual pride thing going on, we look at other people, and that's when we say, I'm glad I'm better than Dave. Or I'm glad I'm better than Jeff. And that says so much, but it says nothing. That's spiritual pride. You see, pride affects our relationship with Christ, but it also affects our relationship with other people when we have this pride. So it says in verse 10, it says, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and one a tax collector. So again, two men went to pray, going to a place that represents God's presence, which is a good thing. They're walking into the visible presence of God. Okay, So they're going to meet God there. They know God's going to be, even though he was with them, they were going to this place that represented God. I want you to understand this morning that the Pharisee did have a lot to be proud of. Okay? Understand that. He was respected in society. He memorized and he lived up to 613 different laws, Jewish laws. You know those crazy ones that we talked about that you can't lift your feet when you walk on the Sabbath and all those other things? He knew all of those. He was considered, or kind of like today, a, a minister or a pastor or a church leader. Uh, so you know he's a good guy if he's considered one of those guys. But then you also have this other guy, the tax collector. And this, in today's world, you might look at as part of the mafia or that corrupt politician lining his own pockets or that drug dealer that lives down the street selling drugs to his own neighbors and to the kids in the neighborhood. It's that kind of guy. So that's why he's the bad guy. So it looks pretty straightforward so far, doesn't it? You've got the good guy. You've got the bad guy. You've got the good guy that should be a church leader, the spiritual guy that does all these things. You have the tax collector who's the lawbreaker. It's all about himself. It's all about me and all those things. So it looks pretty straightforward like Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader. You know, that competition. Or if you ever watch The Office of Jim and Dwight going at it, you know, that good, or Chuck Norris and anybody else, you know. Uh, Chuck always wins those things. So pretty straightforward to this point. Listen to what it says in verse 11. The Pharisee, the good guy, stood and was praying this to himself. Listen to what he says. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, and even like this tax collector. He says, I fast twice a week. I pray tithes of all that I get. I pay tithes of all that I get. Catch the Pharisee's prayer. He says, I follow all the religious rules. Okay? I do all the things I'm supposed to do. I do all the right things. I follow all the rules. I'm good. The Pharisee's actually saying, God, look around. I am better than everybody around me, especially this tax collector. I'm comparatively good. So thank you, God, that I am not like these other people. 
Now, please, before we go on, understand the Pharisee wasn't completely wrong. Okay, he had a right to be proud before God because in his lifetime, by the age of 12, he would have memorized Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. Not just the names of the book, but every word. You read through those and try to figure out how hard that would be. By the age of 12, he had all these things. He spent time in God's Word. He tried to do the right things in his life as a gift of God, but somehow on all of this, somehow he started to see himself as the gift of God. Okay? There's a difference. Instead of realizing what he had as a gift from God, he saw himself as a gift to God. So before we jump in too deep this morning, understand, we all need to recognize the Pharisee in all of us, okay? Please see that. We all have a little Pharisee in us. Don't look at me like I'm crazy, okay? Be honest. We look at other people, don't we? Maybe those walking out of bars and they're staggering and we say, boy, I'm glad I'm not like them. Or how horrible it is that, you know, they're doing that because I'm all that and then some, you know. Let's be honest, we do. Example, in all of our churches, all of our churches all over the world, there are people who show up every Sunday for a time of worship and praise and they say, maybe not verbally, but in their mind, they say, you're welcome, God, that I showed up today. You're welcome, God, that I'm here. God, aren't you happy that I showed up for you today? That's what I'm talking about, having a little Pharisee in all of us. You see, what happens when we have this spiritual pride come in our lives, we actually stop seeing the good things in our life as a gift from God. And we start seeing ourselves as a gift to God. God, I'm, I'm, I'm better than so many other people. I don't do this. I don't do that. Okay? And that's what it is. So understand in your outline, the first one, what we want to talk about, spiritual pride falsely promises three things. One, self-sufficiency. It promises that you are self-sufficient. In other words, it says, I got this. I can do this. I got all this under control. I don't need anybody else. It says, look at everything I, I accomplished. So in other words, what it's going to say is, I'm going to stand before you, and before I preach every Sunday, I'm going to give you my pedigree. Graduated from Seager High School in 1984, went to Lincoln Christian College, ended up going to Kentucky Christian College, got my paramedic, got my EMT, got my master's, and look at me, you know. Who cares? I mean, who cares? It says, I've got it all together. All I do is write the good person that I am. Look at me and how worthy I am because I'm so self-efficient. I don't need anybody else in my lifetime. And number two kind of ties in. It promises self-importance. It tells you you are so valuable. In other words, it tells you I've got the right job. And that's not a bad thing. But it says I've got the right job. I live in the right neighborhood. I drive the right vehicle. In other words, you've got the right emblem on the front. Whether you're a Ford man, that's a Ford. If you're a Chevy man, that's a Chevy or whatever, you know. But I ride the right vehicle. 
And we say to ourselves, and sometimes it comes out, that no matter where you're working, no matter what you're doing, the team that I'm on could not survive without me. Okay? That's what it says. I have the right label in my clothes. I have the right label on my purse. I am the glue that holds everything together. That in other words, if I step out, everything's going to fall apart. And I'm telling you right now, I guarantee you that it won't. There was a time at Hayworth Christian when I was there. We were growing. We had some good things going. And we had some people that from the inner part of it started, my treasurer actually started calling himself the CFO, the chief financial officer. That's like, Dude, you're the treasure. Not that that's a bad thing. I'm not I'm demeaning the, the position, but you are the treasure. You tell us how much money we have, how much money we don't have. But he was telling me that I'm the CFO. You don't need to talk to the board. You get your permission from me. I said, no, not happening. So we had this kind of inner turmoil and had him and an elder wear the whatever shirt to church or board meeting one Sunday and said, if we leave, you're going to lose $5,000 a month in your offerings. He goes, you guys can't make it. You know what I told him? Don't let the door hit you in the butt on your way out. The rest of the board members looked at me like, are you nuts? But you know what? We never lost a step. We never lost a step. Don't think we're self so important. Number three, self-exaltation. In other words, I am better. Okay, everybody, look at me. Look at my car. Tell me that I'm great. Look at what I do in life. I'm on five different boards, and they would be nowhere without me. So it's self-exaltation. We fall into the trap so many times that my ultimate value in life is based on my accomplishments or my gifts or my rule following or my comparison of others, that inward emotion that leads to outward action. You know, that's all those things that happen when we have this self-pride. But please understand what I'm saying and hear me. We have to remember we're not that different from the Pharisee, that pride, that misplaced value, when we're truly honest with ourselves, We see it in these three areas. One is comparison. It's comparison. And just look at some parents. And I know we're not perfect parents, and we'll say that. You'll say, well, I know I'm not the perfect parent, but holy cow, did you see these other people? Did you see how these, their, their kids act? And we do it a lot of times without thinking, without second thought, but that's what it's talking about. We say, those kids are nuts. They're crazy. They're horrible. Or we go to work, and we're going to kiss up to anybody and everybody. I would never understand because it's easier to lift yourself up, and sometimes we don't understand because it's easier to lift ourselves up when you're pushing somebody else down okay because we have to wear the right clothes we have to do the right things we have to do all these things in the world that the world said is good you know one of the things that i do not because i absolutely have to because i think it's crazy what new clothes cost i go to the goodwill and buy khakis and shirts and those kinds of things because i get out and do so many things especially when i was on fire and ambulance I'd be in something like this a lot of times coming back from a funeral or whatever and end up working in an accident or whatever and you're looking at your pants and they're tore, they're ripped, they got blood on them. So why pay $50 for a pair of pants? I wear $5 pair of pants. But you know what? It's not where you get them. It's how you live in them. The second one is I don't need God. 
That's what it gets us. And we may not say it verbally. You may not understand it. But we actually will say, I don't need God by action because they say, I'm a good person. I know a lot of Christians, and quite frankly, I'm better than they are because I do all these things. And the third one is attention-getting. We say, look at me. Look at me. You look around during worship. You make sure everybody knows you're here. You know, we'll make sure that I get credit. And you know what? It's not about whether I know Jim and Joanne's here. It's not about if I know if Tracy is here. Yes, I need to know because Tracy was gone last week. She was, you know, having a fifth baby, you know, a kidney stone. You know, you need to know that. But isn't it more important that God knows you're here with the right spirit, the right attitude, the right reason? So we want that attention-seeking. And you know what? I've been doing this for like 35 years now. And most of us don't struggle with spiritual pride. And it's one of those deals that, you know, yeah, I've done things in my ministry, and I've been able to accomplish some things. And I still look back, and I remember all the things that's going on. And a lot of times when I look back, I just hope I haven't screwed a whole lot of stuff up and a whole lot of people up. You know, and that's, you know, you think, well, look at the highlights. Look at all those things. But sometimes you just hope you don't do the other. Just this week has been a kind of an emotional week. It's been a good week, but an emotional week. I've been to Lafayette three times to see Tom Chapman when the procedure he's having. We had Wednesday night, and we did all that. And Wednesday night, about 10 o'clock, I get a message, you know, this messenger thing on your phone. A lady from over at Hayworth, I've known for, gosh, almost 30 years now, texts me. She goes, you busy? I was like, well, I'm just kind of sitting here. No. Her next message to me was, I'm going to kill myself. That'll wake you up pretty quick. So I'm saying, no, 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 no. Let's do this. Let's do that. Let's talk first. So I'm trying to get her to stay with me on this. And she wanted to know if she does, is she going to heaven? So get what, guess what answer? I did not answer. I'm not saying yay or nay, okay, on this. I go into the, Sandra's get her phone, trying to call 911 here in Fountain County to get the number to kick me over to Bloomington, Illinois, to get me kicked down to DeWitt County to get her help. You know, you try to go to sleep after that little event. You know, was that Lafayette, see Tom, and her daughter calls me. And she goes, thank you, thank you, thank you. She goes, Mom would be dead if you didn't make that phone call. You know, and I was scared. I'm an hour and a half away. I'm saying I will drive right here, right now, if we can talk. Just don't do anything. And then Saturday, we're, Friday and Saturday, we go to homecoming over at Lincoln. Family time. Brittany and Ethan's there. Tyler, Caitlin, and Addie's there. And all these things. We're just going to have a weekend. And we decided we were going to go to Hayworth to see a friend that's having cancer. But before the end of the first session, I get a phone call from a man's son that's a very good friend of mine. He's had cancer. You've heard me mention him before. And he said, Dad is not doing good. He woke up this morning. Can he lift his arms off the bed and all this? So I said, well, we're going to come by today anyway. Well, I took off right then, headed that way. And we sat for four or five hours yesterday afternoon. And before everybody else got there, I'm sitting there. And he goes, I'm so ready to go. And he is. He's a Christian, a deacon in the church. You know, he's done a lot of good things in his life. So he said, I am so ready to go. But the big tears in his eyes, he said, but... I said, but you're not ready, are you? And it wasn't about his spirituality. It wasn't about that. But it was more about 
not been able to help his son on the farm again, not seen his grandson grow up, doing all those things. And I, we went to eat with all the kids before they all went their separate ways, and Sana and I went back down, and I wanted to spend just a little more time with him. And before I left, I got up, and he was in his chair, and barely staying awake, and I took his hand, and we prayed, Sandra and I and him and another friend, and he wouldn't let go of my hand. Sandra went out, and I was talking to him, and I said, what I tell you earlier? I said, I'm leaving now. He goes, we'll see each other again one day. I said, this is not goodbye. And as I left there, the hard part wasn't for me that he's dying. He's a good man. He's a Christian. I truly believe he's going to go to heaven. It was the fact when I walked out that door, walked towards my vehicle to leave to come home, that I knew in my heart of hearts that I would never get to see him and talk to him again until I do his funeral when he dies. You know, and that's not about who I am. You know, I'm telling you, this week has been emotionally draining, but it's also been spiritually draining because this is a sermon that's hard to preach, hard to hear, because I am as guilty as everybody. One more story, then we're going to move on. When I was in Hayworth, I was getting ready to actually go to another conference at Lincoln. My stepdad was there, and my ambulance fire pager goes off for a family in the church. Lady was down. I get there, and she had been working out with her sister, and she just passed out, simply just passed out, no big deal. Ambulance was there, and we had called for a medic and all this, and she says, I am not going to the hospital. She goes, I feel fine now. There's no reason for me to go to the hospital. And she didn't want to pay for the paramedic, you know, because they cost another four or $500. And I said, don't worry about that. We'll pay for that, whatever. And I said, what if I ride with you? So it means I'm going to give up my conference, everything I was going to. I said, what if I ride with you to the hospital? Will you go? And she said, yes. The medic followed us. We got there. Within an hour, she's having emergency aneurysm surgery. And the doctor said within another hour, she'd have been dead. And now Cheryl goes around people, telling people that I saved her life. You know? And part of me wants to go, yeah, I did. <sighs> yeah, I did. It's all good. I didn't. I just offered a ride. That's all. But you see how we get into it so easily? We listen to other people. We want praise from people rather than God. In fact, our Sunday school lesson this morning said that in John chapter 13, that they would rather have the praise of man than the praise of God. But I also want you to understand that there's also reverse spiritual pride, and it's sneaky. And it happens kind of all the time. Somebody compliments you, and you say, oh, you have nice shoes. And you said, oh, I caught them on sale. I was just lucky. Or you say, I could never lift my hands. I could never post Bible verses. I could never serve in leadership. God could never use me. I could never share my faith. Woe is me. I deserve better than what I have. And see, the problem with reverse spiritual pride is it's the same as spiritual pride. Why? Because it starts with me. It's what I think I can do or what I think needs to happen that value is still placed on me. So what would Jesus undo in the spiritual pride? Number one, when we are full of ourselves, there is no room for God. When we think, I've got this, I can handle this, that look at me and all these things, there is no room for God. And Jesus shows us a different way. Catch verse 13. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift his eyes to heaven, but was beating his chest or his breast, it says, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. The tax collector was contrasted. He was fighting within himself. 
I mean, he's standing at a distance. In other words, he was at the back of the church. He was unwilling to enter the church because he was seeing what a lot of people say. If I come to church, the walls will fall in. The foundation will crumble. And you've been there. You know people who have done that. Some of you may have been that today because you have something in your life that you don't think you're willing to come to the presence of God if he knew or if we knew. This tax collector couldn't even lift his head. His prayer had confession. It had acknowledgement to God about it. He did not rationalize or attempt to justify anything. Why? Because without God's intervention, he knew his life was hopeless, and he comes up short. There was no way that he could make it right. So catch verse 14. It says, I tell you, Jesus says, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, went to his house justified rather than the other, the Pharisee. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus shocks the hearers here, those he was talking to. The tax collector, the bad guy, the vile guy, went home justified, not the Pharisee. Even though the Pharisee was full of spiritual pride, the tax collector emptied himself. It's an accurate picture of a spiritual condition that some of us may be in right here, right now. But we need to get right with Jesus. Number two, when we empty ourselves, we are in the perfect position to be filled by God's grace. Here's the challenge for spiritual pride. Okay, there's no spiritual bullet that we can give ourselves. There is no red or blue pill like the matrix that if you want to take this pill, it's the truth. If you want to take this pill, there's nothing. It's almost like peeling an onion layer one at a time. It's a decision that we have to make on our behalf of how we're going to come into the presence of God on a daily and weekly basis. Others do it differently. Understand. We have people, we have different churches who maybe, maybe believe a little bit different, who do things a little bit different, and understand they're not always wrong. And we still have to understand it's not our place to tell somebody they're doing wrong until we have a relationship with them. Okay? We can't do that. Because it just tells them that you're just this spiritual idiot that's going around doing these things, and they don't care until they know we care. Number three, we empty ourselves. When we empty ourselves, we are in the perfect position to be used by God. In other words, when we get rid of all the garbage, then we're ready to be used by God. How many? No matter how much I like the Pharisee, no matter how much I have it all together, no matter how self-sufficient I am, how important I am, how self-exalted I am, the truth is that we, like the Pharisee and tax collector, there's really no difference. There's a lot of times we're standing at a distance, unable to look up, we're beating our chest, and we're saying, God, just simply be merciful. The good news is simply this. God has done more than we deserve. God has done more than I could ever earn. And that's the good news. Emotional, not because of difficulty, but because of goodness. Because of the 
prison of pride that sometimes we put ourselves in. Whatever he wants to do, whether it's spectacular or whether it's ordinary, God can do it through us. You see, God wants to do something in you before he does something through you. I don't care if you want to be famous, have it all together, but he wants us faithful. And when we empty ourselves, when we have a humble heart, you're in that perfect position to be used by God. Matthew 5, 16. These are Jesus' words to us. He says this. Catch what he says. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify who? You remember? And glorify your Father who's in heaven. Folks, I want you to know right here this morning, God has called you. And if God has called you, he has equipped you, and God will be glorified. I don't care if you're a stay-at-home mom or dad, if you're a construction worker, if you're a nurse, or whatever you do in life, God must work in you before he does work through you. The last thing is this. Pride is about my glory. Humility is about God's glory. So many ways to choose to do this, to give God the glory. One is confession. Confession is a great way to make sure we're right. And another way is simply by serving others. Getting out, doing something for somebody else. Maybe somebody you don't know, maybe a complete stranger, but doing something for somebody else. Because what that does, it kind of puts you in their shoes. It allows you to see them as they really are. And I guarantee you, as you're doing this, as you're getting that accomplished, you're starting to build that relationship with somebody. That at some point in time, you can actually take that opportunity and say, hey, this whole thing about God, about Jesus, about faith, I want you to know it's true. It's a great thing. And I'd like to sit down with a cup of coffee and share that with you sometime. I guarantee you do that first, do those things first. Almost every time they're going to say, let's have a cup of coffee. I kind of want to hear what you have to say. But first, we have to get out of ourselves. Set that pride aside and come before God, truly holy, and giving him the glory.